So seven years ago, uh, Kami and I, uh, this is our first time we were ever at Lakeside. We were, we were sitting in the back corner back there, and we were supposed to pretend like we were not uh, who we were. We, we, weren't, we, we were supposed to be just like regular visitors. We weren't supposed to let anyone know we were, you know, maybe going to be the pastor here. And, uh, and, and so the choir processed in the way that they processed this morning. And, uh, I, you know, one of the ladies in the choir had her palm branch, and as she went down, she just was whacking all the men in the head. You know, one after, and then, and then we saw one or two other ladies do that, and we thought to ourselves, this might just be a place that could handle us, you know? And, and so that was really you know, the first sign that we, we thought that uh, God was calling us to Lakeside. So praise God. Um, it is uh, interesting, um, we talk about Palm Sunday. I made the decision not to preach a Palm Sunday sermon uh, because I didn't want to break from our teaching on the Gospel of Matthew, kind of our progress there. But I do want to say what's interesting about Palm Sunday, and, and always has been for me, is that um, you see the people who uh, were, were carrying the palm branches and shouting uh, Hosanna and worshiping Jesus as he came into Jerusalem were the same folks that were crying, crucify him, just a week later. And what, what a reflection that is on our own hearts. Uh, in, in one side of our mouth, we, we sing praises to the Lord, and in another side of our mouths, we, uh, we crucify him in a sense by the way in which we so freely give in to our sin. And so, uh, so anyway, really excited about Holy Week. Um, hopefully you can make plans to be here Thursday night for our service of Diminishing Lights. It is wonderful, beautiful service. And uh, it, it's a great way to prepare for Easter because I never really am ready for Easter to, to fully celebrate what it looks like to have the light of, of Christ uh, come into the world and the, the, kind of through this resurrection until I've, I've, I've had Thursday night and seen that diminishing light and, and gone through the crucifixion. So you can't really celebrate the resurrection without uh, bearing through the crucifixion. So, so hopefully you can come and be part of that as well. Um, the choir is going to be slowly re-entering. Uh, they're, they're somewhat discouraged with me because I asked them to wear robes and then I didn't wear one myself. Um, and they feel like that's hypocrisy. Uh, maybe I preached that sermon last week. Um, but anyway, let's gather around the Word of God this morning. Uh, we've been reading from the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been exploring the greatest sermon ever given, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And last week, as I mentioned, we did study hypocrisy. And really, as it pertained to, to, to three things that Jesus was teaching, Jesus talked about hypocrisy in our giving, hypocrisy in our prayers, and hypocrisy in our fasting. And what was interesting, right there in the middle of that teaching on hypocrisy, when he talks about prayers, he uh, he has his teaching on how the disciples should properly pray. And we've called it for 2,000 years the Lord's Prayer. And uh, what's interesting is, is, is some scholars have thought that maybe a better name than the Lord's Prayer might be the disciples' prayer because he, Jesus was giving it as a prayer for the disciples. And there are things in there that we know that Jesus would not pray himself, um, like such as asking forgiveness for his sin, because Jesus was sinless. So a lot of people have thought maybe we should call it the disciples' prayer, but once something's been called something for 2,000 years, good luck, right? You're not going to change it. I've often noticed uh, that Christians are very insecure about prayer. And, uh, you, you know, you can take someone who, who, who very much believes that they're a Christian, who loves the Lord, and if it's their first time somewhere, you would never invite them up to the front to lead a prayer because they're, we're insecure about it. We're insecure about what to say. We're, we're, we're afraid we're going to say something dumb or we would not use the right words or, or just somehow embarrass ourselves. But I want to suggest to you today that uh, you already know the perfect way to structure your prayers. And that you learned it long ago and that we're going to review it together today. But before we 
read and study the scripture together, I need to ask you a, a very important question this morning. Have you ever watched The Karate Kid? <laughs> you remember The Karate Kid? It's written by William Shakespeare, later turned into a Hollywood movie, is it not? Hollywood movie, um, and uh, is, is great, great. It, it, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming that there's, um, you know, three or four really pious individuals out here who, who don't know what The Karate Kid is, and so I need to get you caught up, and I hate to do it, but I have to um, kind of act out The Karate Kid for you to get you to where you understand what's happening. So The Karate Kid is a story of a bullied boy named Daniel, and he was taken in by an older Japanese mentor, a man by the name of Mr. Miyagi. Now, now, Mr. Miyagi, because Daniel was bullied, had agreed to teach Daniel karate so that Daniel could defend himself. Now, uh, I don't know what Mr. Miyagi did for a living, uh, but he had some money, and it's obvious when you see his house, it's really beautiful Japanese design, but a lot of fancy, old, classic, awesome cars. And uh, Mr. Miyagi begins Danielson's training by having him wax his cars and paint his fences and sand his deck. And for days and days and days, that's all Daniel does. He just, he waxes cars, he sands, he paints. And to make it worse, Mr. Miyagi is really a micromanager when it comes to these things. He's, he's very concerned with the form that Daniel uses as he sands and paints and waxes and all these things. And, it, and it's, really, it's really kind of annoying. He keeps adjusting his wrist up and down. You know, you, you, need to, you need to paint like this. And at some point, Daniel thinks to himself, I did not sign up for manual labor. I signed up to learn karate. And so he confronts Mr. Miyagi. Do you remember this? Why are you wasting my time with all these chores? So what does Mr. Miyagi say to him? He says, uh, Danielson, show me. Wax the car. And Daniel's confused at first. He's like, what? what? But, but eventually Daniel understands that he wants him to do the movements he was taught to wax the car. And at the same time that Daniel does the movement to wax the car, Mr. Miyagi throws a punch. And it turns out that the very movement Daniel was taught to wax cars, ends up being the, the perfect movement to block a punch. And so the obvious plot twist came that Mr. Miyagi was teaching Daniel karate the whole time, and he never even knew it, right? Okay, listen, you did not come here to hear me reenact awesome 80s movies. So let me tell you what I'm getting at. Um, for years, you and I and our kids have gathered together as part of our worship and we've recited together the Lord's Prayer. And some of you think that repeating the Lord's Prayer is the fullest expression of that prayer. In other words, some of you think that if you pray the Lord's Prayer word for word, you've learned what Jesus was teaching. And here's what I'm saying this morning. The Lord's Prayer is an outline. It's a form. And the Lord's Prayer was not meant simply for repeating in church. Well, actually, it kind of is, but, but let me say this. It's meant for repeating in church in the same way that Mr. Miyagi taught karate. We teach people to pray by saying the Lord's Prayer every week. And in the end, what ends up happening is they memorize the form. And they're ready to pray the way that Jesus intended them to pray. But, but once again, I talk to people all the time who say, I don't know how to pray properly. They tell me that they get distracted, and that they trail off, and, and that they never know what they're supposed to pray for. And what I want to tell them in my best Mr. Miyagi accent is, show me our Father in heaven. 
Start your prayer that way. Pray, pray to your Father. Now, now show me what it looks like to pray, hallowed be his name. Now show me how you would pray for his kingdom to come. You know the form of the prayer already. What I need you to realize is you've already memorized the perfect form for prayer. What you must do now is to learn how to use that form to pray honest and meaningful prayers. You see, the purpose of the Lord's Prayer was not simply to give you an empty phrase to recite together on Sunday mornings. Uh, in fact, if you look at the Lord's Prayer and you go back to just, just two verses before it, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is teaching us not to heap up, heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles. And so I want to suggest to you that we're using the Lord's Prayer in exactly the wrong way. Because many of us show up week in and week out and we space out and we go into autopilot and we recite the Lord's Prayer without ever thinking about what those words mean. And this was not what Jesus intended for us to do. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the Lord's Prayer together this morning to see if we can get a better understanding. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. If you're able, I invite you to stand in reverence of the Word of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do come to your word and ask that you would um, bring us understanding and wisdom as we read it together. And pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Jesus wants his disciples to know how to address God in prayer because um, God has many names. And, and, you know, we could do a, a whole study on the name of God. There's, there, there's hundreds of names that, 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 that God has called throughout the Scripture, but only one in which Jesus tells his disciples to pray. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in the name of our Father, which is really quite revolutionary, if I'm really honest with you, because in the Old Testament, Jesus is only referred to Father 14 times. That's in the entire Old Testament. That's, that's 39 Old Testament books. And, and each of those 14 times when, when God is referred to as Father, it, it wasn't that he was like our personal Father, it's that he was the Father of the nation. And so it's really revolutionary here that Jesus begins to teach that we are children of God. Look, and, and really as, uh, as uncomfortable as it is for us to call God Father, Jesus is himself God incarnate. So when he says this is how we pray to the Father, maybe we should listen. But, but the question might be, what's changed? How come no uh, references to God as Father in the Old Testament and now Jesus is saying we should call Father? Well, I want you to look at Galatians 4, 4 through 6. Paul's going to explain a little bit of that, right? Uh, this is what Paul says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, here it is, adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Now, many of you know that that, that word Abba is a very, it's a household word. Some people have used uh, the word daddy maybe or uh, others have said our great father. But it's a very intimate way of referring to God. To pray to your Father in heaven is to understand that uh, your adoption as, ch- as a child of God, you have, you have this intimacy and you have this access uh, to the Lord. And, and that intimacy and that access would have been a, a shocking to the Jew. It would have been, been really troublesome and shocking to the Jew to suggest that you could call God your Father. Really, they stressed uh, the holiness of God, if you think about it. They would not even say the Lord's name out loud. In fact, they would not even write the Lord's name out. In fact, at times, they would take out the vowels in his name. They were afraid of being too familiar with the Lord's name. And so uh, they would have really had a trouble with this. But if you think about it, this is not our modern problem. Like, like with modern evangelical Christianity, that's not what we struggle with. It's, it's, not a great re- it's not that our reverence is just so high for God that we can't think of him as Father, Right? Our problem is, is quite the opposite. Our problem is we've been told of a God who loves us and who wants to save us as a father, who wants to adopt us. And, and so we've, we've created this kind of teddy bear God mentality. Our problem is not that we have too high a view of God. It's that we don't have any idea at all of God's holiness. It's almost the opposite struggle of the Jews. And what's interesting is the way that Jesus starts this prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, which would highlight the intimacy. And then his next line is, hallowed be thy name, which is a great concern for his holiness. And so these two things are held in tension, both our intimacy as children, but also this understanding of how holy God's name is. And do you know what it means uh, to hallowed be his name? Or or it means that you're asking God to, to make his name holy. Father, may your name be holy. May I see you as holy. May I live so that others know your holiness. We have an intimacy to come before the Father, but then we are overcome with his holiness. And we find ourselves beginning our prayers right there at the front by praising the name of the Father. That's how we're to start our prayers, by declaring the holiness of of our Father's name. So um, just a few questions. Do you, do you address God as Father when you pray? Jesus says that you should. And do you, do you begin your prayers by declaring his name holy, by worshiping him for all of his holy works, and by asking him to use you to keep his name holy? The way Jesus teaches us to pray begins with worship, and it does not start with us and our petitions. You see, that's, that's how our nature has us pray. But, but, but with Jesus, the way he teaches his disciples, it's different. He begins praying to the Father and hallowing the name of the Father. And the next section is still about the Father. It's, it's not about us yet. It's still about kind of worship and, and, and submission. It's, it's verse 10. So let's, let's read verse 10 together. This is what Jesus says we're to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that the great theme of, of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is the great King, 
of kings. And he's come to establish his kingdom. And remember what John the Baptist is constantly preaching. He's constantly preaching, repent for the kingdom is at hand. But what does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean for us to be in the kingdom of heaven? It means we submit to the reign and the rule of King Jesus in our lives. And and we, we live as a citizen of heaven. So so for us to pray, your kingdom come, can be understood in part as a petition to God for him to rule in our lives and in the lives of really not just us, but all his people. And so, you know, we're coming to our prayer. We're saying, Father, I praise your name. Uh, May your name be holy. May your kingdom reign in me. May I love your law and your ways. May it reign in your people in in the here and now. And there's another element to this. You know, there's, there's the here and there's the will be. And the will be is this understanding that one day in the second coming of Jesus, his kingdom will fully be established. And so to pray thy kingdom come is, is first to pray that the kingdom will be established in you now and in your family and in your church. And that it will eventually be fulfilled and realized when Christ returns and judges the living and the dead. And, and the very next stanza is one that's very, really focused on this idea of your kingdom come. It says this, your kingdom come and your will be done. Your, your will be done. When we say the Lord's Prayer, oftentimes we don't think about what we're saying. But what Jesus is teaching us about prayer is that we should have some portion of our personal prayer life where we say, Father, Like, regardless of what I want, I want your will to be done. And that's a hard prayer to pray. Because it means that you're not the captain of your own soul. It means that you trust God more than you trust you. It means that you would rather God's will be done than your will be done. And we... We think this is maybe an easy prayer to pray, but it's a really hard one, especially if, if, if your prayer is, Lord, heal me, or Lord, heal the one I love, or Lord, get me out of this, right? How do you, how do you pray, but your will be done in the midst of that, right? So, so Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane did just that thing. Jesus knew he was about to be arrested. He knew he was about to be tortured and embarrassed and crucified, yet Jesus' prayer in this moment was What? Mark 14, 36. And he said, and look how consistent he is. Abba, Father. Right? He calls out to his, his Father. And all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, are you in the habit of praying like this? Father, I know that you can do all things, yet not what I will, but what you will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you trust God enough to pray like that? You see, the prayer of an immature believer fires out the gate with a laundry list of what they want from God without any consideration for what God wants. My guess is some of you won't like that. You prefer to believe that your prayer controls God, right? You hear what I'm saying? You, you, you like to believe that your prayers control God and, 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 and that somehow prayer is your personal way of shaping the universe. I'm sorry to say this, but, but it's not true. 
However, prayer is God's way of shaping you. You see that? You don't, you don't get to use prayer to shape the universe, but God will use prayer to shape you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and, and Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's Prayer begins, and it's all about God. Have you, have you seen it so far? We haven't asked for anything. It's not about us. It's, it's about, uh, it's about the, the name of the Father. It's about His holiness. It's about our worship and really our submission to Him. Before we ask for anything, we're learning to submit by saying, Your will be done. But then, and only then, do we make and offer our petitions before the Lord. And make no mistake, Jesus does instruct His disciples to ask God for their needs. Look at verse 11. It says this, Give us this day our daily bread. This is where in your prayer life you would ask for the basic needs to be met in your life, the necessities of your life, your health. It's about your daily bread. It's not about your dessert, right? You understand the difference between praying for daily bread and praying for dessert? However, I think that the reason... Uh, that most of us don't pray to God for our daily bread anymore is, is because we're all so wealthy, we don't really think we need to. Does that make sense? Why ask God to make sure you have food to eat tomorrow if you have $75,000 in your bank account? I think many of us have stopped asking God to give us our daily bread because we just think we can get it ourselves. And that's a dangerous place to be, my friends. When you no longer see the Lord as being the one who provides your daily bread and all your needs. You see, Jesus is probably teaching this uh, way of, of praying to his disciples who probably fish for a lot of their food. Maybe they grow some of their food. Maybe they, they buy some of it at the market. But, but they don't know the excess that we know now. They understood exactly what it meant to depend upon God for their very existence and for their very survival. And I guess my question for you today is, have we lost that? Is there some part of you that's forgotten that deep down, everything that you have is because the Lord has supplied it for you? I think it's probably important for your soul that you return to asking God, even in your excess, for your daily bread. As a way of acknowledging that, that even though you have money in that account over there, it's only because the Lord has chosen to give that you have that. And so you thank God every day. God, give me, thank you for giving me my daily bread. Lord, prepare it again for me tomorrow. And the next section of the Lord's Prayer is about forgiveness. Let's look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. All right, so... If, if, if we were to gather just a random sampling of Christians, and we just got 500 Christians together today from all different denominations, they could all sit and say the Lord's Prayer together in unison until we reach this line, right? This is the one line where some folks are going to say, forgive us our trespasses. Some folks are going to say, forgive us our sins. Some folks are going to say, forgive us our debts. So trespasses, sins, and debts, you know, different words there. And it Kind of depends on what denomination you grew up in, right? So which is more accurate? Well, I'm, you know, as a great scholar that I am, I'm going to tell you today. Uh, in a way, they all are accurate. 
And I'm going to show you why. If we look at verse 12 again, and I think we can put it back up on the screen, but if we look at verse 12 again, where it says, forgive us our debts there, the best English translation for that Greek word would be, that which is owed. Okay? Forgive us that which is owed, as we forgive others that which is owed. And most reputable modern English translations use the English word debt. You owe God a debt that you want him to forgive, but it's a sin debt. You understand that? That, That's what that debt is. Uh, It's a sin debt. Now, the Lord's Prayer is also recorded in Luke's Gospel. And while Matthew clearly uses the word debt, if you look at Luke 11.4, I don't even know if we have that, but if we have it, we'll put it up. Luke 11.4, it says this, and forgive us our sins, ready, ready, so it's not debts, Luke has it as sins, right? Forgive us as our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So, so Luke you actually uses both words. He uses sin and, and this debt. We're, God's forgiving our sins, but we're forgiving uh, other people's debts. You see, last week when I walked out of church, a man got, grabbed me and said, Tyson, I need you to teach on the Lord's Prayer next week because I grew up saying trespasses, and I really like trespasses, but I don't like the idea that I've got to forgive people's debts. You can tell he was a businessman and really didn't want to forgive any debts, right? And he liked the idea that it was, it was an offense, but if it was money, he was out. Now, some folks use the word trespasses. It's not wrong, but it is kind of out of order. And here's what I mean. It, it doesn't come at that place in the text that we would say in the Lord's Prayer. It comes afterwards. Remember, we read it together today. So we're, just look at verses 14 and 15 of today's reading. This is what it says. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Um, so, so it's in there. It's just not in that same space. But, but the idea is definitely in line with the teachings of Jesus. So let me ask you this question. What does that word trespasses even mean? You thought about that? What what does the word trespasses even mean? Well, think about if you own some land, right? And you put up boundaries around that land. Uh, The boundaries had a little sign that said no trespassing. And someone then comes and enters your land. They have crossed the boundaries that you have set. So what Jesus does is, is he gives us two understandings of sin in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, There's two understandings of sin in the Lord's Prayer. Sin is a debt that you owe. And sin is a boundary by God that you have crossed. You are a debtor and you are a trespasser, both. But they're both descriptors of your sin. And the idea is Jesus is teaching us to ask the Father to forgive us where we have sinned. And in some ways, this is what's really scary and needs you to hear this, he has linked that forgiveness of our sins to our willingness to forgive other people of their sins. Right? He says this, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven others. And, and, and y'all are kind of going, like, Tyson, maybe you're, maybe you're understanding this wrong. I don't think you're supposed to link those two together. Well, you know, whenever I wonder if I'm right or I'm wrong, I generally look to great, great theologians. So let's look at some. The great Puritan preacher Thomas Watson once wrote, a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as not believing. That was in reference to this this verse. A man can go to hell 
for not for, just as well for not forgiving as for not believing. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, you heard of that guy? He says this, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you read the Lord's Prayer. I mean, that is intense. The truth is sometimes our unforgiving hearts make our prayers just die on our lips. Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness and to realize that God expects for you to forgive other people. So I'm going to suggest to you today that, that asking for forgiveness should be a major part of your prayer life, as should be forgiving others. Uh, the section of the Lord's Prayer recorded here is, is from verse 13. It's the last section, so look with me. We'll finish on verse 13. It says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's clarify what this does what this does not mean first, okay? It does not mean that God ever tempts us to sin and that we're asking him to stop tempting us from sin. And, and the reason I can say that with great uh, confidence is because uh, James clarifies that, James 1.13. So look what he says. Uh, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So that's, it's not a prayer that God would not tempt you or that would stop tempting you because that's not what he does. What then does it mean to pray that God would lead us not to temptation? It's a prayer that God would not allow you to be overpowered by temptation. Right? I think most of you know that temptations are unavoidable in this life. And, and, and at some point, our character is actually is being shaped every day as we fight and as we resist those temptations. So we need to be constantly praying for God to give us strength to resist the temptations to sin. My question for you, is this something you pray about regularly? Do you, do you constantly pray that God would help you to resist temptations? Lead us not into temptation, but rather deliver us from evil. Uh, some translations here say, deliver us from the evil one. It's difficult to say which translation is better, but the meanings really are not that far off. Evil is all around us, and it, you know, it does find its source in the evil one and in our hearts. And we don't have to look that far to find evil, do we? Especially this week. Have you seen the evil this week? Tragic, senseless murder of three children. Three adults inside of a Presbyterian day school in Nashville. And what can only be described as an act of pure evil. Nothing else can be said of that attack. It was pure evil. I pray often that God would spare our families from such evils. I pray that God spares our church from those evils. You know, we spend thousands of dollars and we are spending thousands, thousands more dollars at Lakeside to try and protect ourselves from outside evils. We hire a, a sheriff's deputy to sit in the parking lot out front because of evil men and the evil that lurks in this world. We're upgrading our, our digital cameras. We're upgrading our digital locking systems on our door all to protect us from evil. But let's don't fail to do the most important thing, and that is to pray that God would protect us from the evils outside. But it's not just evils that lurk outside, my friends. Um, the truth is, uh, the evil outside is horrible, but the evil that lurks inside of you and inside of me is also evil and wicked. 
And so our prayers become, Lord, deliver us from the evil that lurks outside, but also, Lord, deliver us from the evil that lurks inside of my own heart. So let me conclude the study of the Lord's Prayer by saying, uh, the Lord's Prayer was given to the disciples to be an outline. It was, it was given as a form for how they should structure their personal prayers. It wasn't just something that we repeat every week. And the value of us repeating every week is that we begin to make sure everyone knows the form, that everyone knows how to pray. And so I want to challenge you that as you leave here, that you begin to incorporate the Lord's Prayer into your personal prayers, that, that you just pray through the Lord's Prayer in your prayer time. It's an easy way for you to do this. And so uh, let's just do it together right now. Let's, let's pray, and, and as we pray, let's use the Lord's Prayer as we pray. So I want to ask you to, to join me. Father in heaven, we, we praise your holy name. No one else in all creation is like you. You are set above and, a, and apart. You are fully holy and fully good. And we want your kingdom to come. We want to be those who are citizens of your kingdom. And so first and foremost in our lives, help us to live by your law. Establish your reign in us and in our world. And we look forward to the return of Jesus when all will fall subject to the great King of Kings. Father, we pray for your will to be done in our world and in our lives. We have our petitions, yes, but ultimately we trust your will. We desire your will. We submit to your desires. Father, give us this day what we need to live. Give us our daily breads, Father. We thank you for giving us roofs over our head. Father, we thank you for for giving us food in our stomach. We would have nothing without you. Father, forgive us our sins. And there are many, and they are constant, the ways in which we are indebted to you, the ways in which we have trespassed. Forgive us. But also, Lord, by your spirit, give us the strength to forgive others who have wronged us. Father, strengthen us for the temptation that comes our way that we might stand strong and give us strength in our constant battle against evil. Father, we pray for those who have been evil this past week, especially those who have experienced the evil in Nashville. God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Father, have mercy in all these things. Amen. Thank you.